Welcome to the Unfiltered Friends podcast, where we humanize your favorite creators through their personal stories and then learn something from them. I hope you feel inspired by today's guest, and if you do, share it with someone who needs it. So without further ado, here is Unfiltered Friends. Hello, Unfiltered Friends. Welcome to another episode. This subject is tough, but it's also something that will touch all of our lives at some point in time. This is a conversation about grief and mourning and a lot of us have a lot of exposure to it and i'm so grateful to have people on who are willing to tackle this subject and be vulnerable and share the things that they have gone through so i have sally and m from the good morning podcast on here hello hey chris so good to be here with you thanks for having us yeah Uh, first of all good morning more i love that that was that's i love a is it is it a pun? I don't want to say pun because it's a sensitive subject, but that's where my brain goes. I guess it you have a play is. on words. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll yeah. go with yeah. that. <laughs> so you guys, how long have you been talking about this subject matter as like your focus? Um, just coming up to three years, actually. Three years. Mm. And you and you guys connected through your own grief, correct? Correct. We Can did. you Can you give us some details on like, you don't have to give too much detail, but more so how you guys connected with each other and found almost uh, like community within each other? Definitely. So Sal and I met after the sudden and unexpected deaths of our mums, which was only months apart. So my mum died by suicide in February of 2020 and Sal's mum died of something called SUDEP, which is sudden and unexpected death in epilepsy. And that was in November, 2019. And we just found ourselves in a world of grief. And we quickly realized that nothing prepares you for loss. And a lot of our peers hadn't experienced a big loss. We felt incredibly lonely, confused. It was just a really difficult time. And um, we ended up searching online for some extra support because we're like, what the, can we swear on this podcast, Chris? Go for it. What the fuck is going on with us? There's nothing more what the fuck than than that experience. So (laughs) feel feel free to let it go. (laughs) Okay, good. So yeah, we were just like, what is happening? Um, So yeah, we're searching online for some extra support, which led us to a support group for motherless daughters. And one of their community members was arranging a meetup at a pub and we both just, I just think we just wanted to connect with people who knew what we were going through. So we went, but we both nearly backed down at the 11th hour, didn't we, Sal? Like we were not going to go. Like I think there's a bit of shame attached to needing extra support or reaching out and we were both well supported by our friends and family. So then we were like, do we even really need this? But we both felt a real pull to go and I'm so grateful we did because it led us to each other. Yeah, now, but now you make content around it. And that's such, it's such a heavy subject matter. Do you guys have to take breaks from it? Because you, I mean, as someone who's experienced quite a bit of death in his life, both unexpected and expected, mm-hmm. and some of it was like years ago, I still experience that. And you are talking about a subject matter that is very near and dear to you guys. Do you have to take breaks for your own well-being when it comes to covering the subject matter? Or does it become part of you sharing your journey? It's a mixed bag. We definitely have to set boundaries because we get so many messages from listeners and we get a lot of people sharing their personal stories and also talking about a heavy topic. You know, we wrote a book about the topic as well. Like it is a lot. And I think unconsciously it's a lot as well. Like it can be Mm -hmm. really draining. So having those boundaries in place is like super important having cut off times when we're not checking social media, you know, just really protecting our energy. But on the other hand, it also energizes us because we love supporting people and we love the community that we've built. And I think in the early days of our grief, because we started the podcast like six months after Im's mum died and nine months after my mum died, it was hugely cathartic for us. We're both big talkers which you kind of need to be when you've got a podcast, right? Um, yes. <laughs> but talking about grief and learning from people about grief and like hearing other people's stories actually has really helped us. But it is a fine line between, mm-hmm. you know, kind of talking about grief too much. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a balance. It, it can bring you 
it can bring you down. Like I'm yeah. somebody that talks about my my grief and things that I've been through. I, I can here. I want to tell you, I want to tell you my story about about a, a loss that I had. And curious yeah. if I don't understand what I did afterward, but it was my it was the most. This I always say it was my most productive mental breakdown of my life. Mm. So I had uh, my first puppy, Wrigley. And we were at a park and she got loose and she got hit by a car mm -hmm. in front of me. And I held her as she died, which kind of a traumatic scenario. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed was um, after she passed, like, and, and this happens with your, your, your human loved ones, anyone who's been a part of your life, like you have a dog, you open the door, the dog doesn't greet you, smacks you. Like any moment that reminded me of her smacked me. So what I did was, and it kind of feels a little, maybe a little similar to what you guys are doing now. I just hopped in the car and started driving. I drove for two and a half months with no plan. And I ended up going to 34 cities across the US and Canada. And in each city I went to, I had a meet up with my then YouTube fan base and I had them go down the Amazon wish list of a local shelter and for, for animals and bring those items for me to donate in each city. And that is the way that, that I processed. Do you find that a lot of people escape initially or stay in it? Or is it a mixed bag? Like I didn't plan this. I just went because it's what I needed to do. Firstly, we're so sorry for the loss that you went through. Pet loss can be incredibly traumatic and it is like losing a human for some people. You know, pets are a family. So I just want to acknowledge that Thank first you. and foremost. And you're so right. Like when you, you know, that you talk about like that smack that keeps coming when after loss and you walk in the house and it's just dead quiet and, yeah, there's kind of a big a big void there in your life now. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a huge loss to go through pet loss. It's something that we have wanted to cover more extensively on the podcast, which we will do in the future. But it's a big question that you've just asked, and I think mm -hmm. it really depends on the individual. Sal and I felt a similar thing to you in that it was just happening for us. Like we were mm -hmm. just getting pulled to do this work our whole trajectory of our lives changed after going through such a significant loss. We just really surrendered to it and we're like, okay, this is the path that we're going down now. And we're really careful to talk about silver linings um, mm -hmm. because I think sometimes it's really important to just acknowledge that some really bad things just happen in life for no reason. But I also think sometimes it can change your life. And like Sal and I, we, we both feel like we're now doing this really meaningful work. And it sounds like you could relate to what you were doing as well with the shelters and you were mm -hmm. pulled to go and do something of service. And that can be a common experience after loss. And it's not for everyone. It doesn't, you don't have to go and do something like that or turn your grief into some transformational process of helping others. Like it's really important for people listening to just feel and be but it, mm. it, it can happen. Is It is an experience that has happened. I think Sal and I can really relate to that. I think it's a beautiful thing that you did. And some people make meaning from doing acts of service or things that can relate and help them process their loss. And that sounds like that was you making meaning mm -hmm. by doing mm -hmm. that. But like I wanted said, to honor her. It was my way of honoring her instead of just wallowing. I, I found yeah. that sitting and thinking about it, it just made it worse for me. So I escaped, but also did stuff in her honor. Like the road trip was named after her. And it's, it's such a beautiful way to, to honor her. And I think some, sometimes people think that honoring a person or doing something to make meaning after they pass has to be something grand and it's really important to know it, it really doesn't like im said sometimes you don't find like purpose or meaning from pain but you can honor your person in loads of really simple ways and and that can just be as simple as like listening to a song they really loved or eating something that they really enjoyed that you feel connected to them like it, it can be really simple things but also Interestingly, when you talk about what you did and you went, you just kind of went on this trip, we interviewed a psychotherapist who's based in the US called Megan Reardon Jarvis. 
absolutely incredible human being. Um, and she told us that to grieve, grief is a verb. And mm. so you grieve by doing things as well. So like for you going on that trip and and reaching out to the shelters and bringing your YouTube fan base on on that journey with you, like that's an act of grief, like you're grieving by doing that. And, and that's a really interesting way to like look at the things that we do as well. Like they're helping us process the grief, even though at the time we might not realize it. Mm. It was making me think of what Megan did as well, Sal, which Chris was describing, like just getting in your car and just driving. That's what this psychotherapist was telling us she did as well. She's like, I just wanted to like get out inside the Grand Canyon, like somewhere with space because your body is full of so much energy. You know, grief can just fill you up with so much energy. And sometimes it is really heavy and sometimes you just, you got to do things to to get that out. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's a really interesting thing, but not everyone will have that experience. Some people no. may not be able to move and there'll be a heap on the floor. I was for, for a while. Um, so I'm kind of identifying Chris as a bit of an instrumental griever, Sal, would you say? Yeah, I would say. say yeah. Instrumental. Okay, what is an instrumental yeah. griever? <laughs> Sal, you can you can explain this. Oh, one. you've just dropped it and then thrown it to me, mate. <laughs> you yeah. Get it. No, because you are one as well. You're, you're better at explaining it. Joking. I'm joking. Um, okay, so there was a theory, and we talk about this in our book, um, that was developed by some researchers probably about 20 years ago about how we grieve and it was originally called grieving beyond gender so it was looking at the different ways that genders grieve but then actually they took that and applied that to all all genders mm -hmm. um so there are there's a spectrum right there's on one end of the spectrum you've got um instrumental grievers and they are people who and maybe a bit more productive when it comes to their grief. So they might find that they process by doing and they might find that they process by talking and they're able to talk rationally about the person or the pet or their loss. Um, but they find that they need to do things. And then on the other end of the scale, you've got um, intuitive grievers. So these are people who really can't help but really feel their emotions very strongly and they need to talk about their emotions and they need to talk about what's going on internally for them rather than focusing on the external and you might be one extreme or the other or you might be a bit of a blend of both like grief is so yeah, I unique feel, I feel like a, a mix the, what was really interesting is like when I got when I found out that she had passed mm. I um it was weird. I I could I couldn't be home and I wasn't ready to leave yet. So I went to my friend's house and you know, I was a mess of a human. I called my parents. I couldn't I couldn't even get uh, the only thing I could say was mom. That was all I could get out of my mouth at that time. I was devastated. And then I got in the car to drive to my friend's place, which is about a half hour away, and I was calm as a cucumber. And I'm calling people and letting them know, hey, you know, this is what happened. I'm trying to figure out the information. Like, why are you so calm? And all I could remember thinking was, this isn't real. Like, my calmness doesn't make any sense. Therefore, it's not real. And then the second I got to my friend's place, she had to carry me in. And it was like my body was allowing me to get to a safe place where I would feel supported and no further. It got me to the door. And then I was done for several days where I didn't talk to anybody. I just cried. Yes. And I can relate to that because it sounds like you were almost like operating on shock um, yes. and adrenaline that kind of kept, that cushioned you from the emotions in certain situations. And for me, I had a very similar experience. I had to organize all of my mum's estate, plan her funeral, do all of the admin that comes with the death. And and I had this kind of sh protection of like this shock and autopilot that would keep me going because I had to get stuff mm. done. But then when I was with close friends and family, I fell apart. But I also you were was safe. Able yes. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's what it's a really common experience with grief mm. that people might not realize or we don't necessarily talk about. Hey, Im, is the shock factor. And kind of sometimes we might go through feeling quite numb at times. And then have like 
you know, a huge burst of emotions. And that is also normal because we kind of need to feel, we need the shock sometimes just so that we can get stuff done and, yes. and be able to face, you know, the real world. Mm -hmm. I've um, experienced both sudden death and, um, and uh, expected death, like end of, end of life death. Have you guys dived into the the differences between um, what you go through when it's unexpected versus expected? So it's called anticipatory grief when you are expecting somebody mm. who's, you know, somebody who's terminally ill or have been diagnosed with something and you're waiting for the inevitable. That's called anticipatory grief. And they're very different losses. Like Sal and I, we've obviously both experienced sudden loss, but we have interviewed a lot of people who have experienced anticipatory grief. And I think there can be a lot more shock when the death is sudden mm -hmm. and the shock can last a long time. And But it is important to note that both, both types of loss can be shocking. You know, you can experience both, shock both when you're awful. expecting it as well. Like death is such yeah. a huge event, nothing can prepare you for it, whether it was no. sudden or whether it was anticipated. So I think it also comes down to the circumstances surrounding the loss. Like how did they die? How were you well supported? I think it really comes down to your individual circumstances. But there is something in their anticipatory grief is you do start to grieve before they die, which is really I'm interesting. So with sudden loss, you obviously don't have that. Do you feel that like as uh, say you're around the person who's towards the end of their life and you're starting to do this anticipatory grief, grief. how do you make sure to not transfer that onto the person who is dying or is that a conversation you even have? I think it's so difficult and if it is. anyone's listening that is a caregiver as well, or you are witnessing somebody that you love at the end of their life, it is so traumatic and emotionally draining, physically exhausting. Like it's a really, really tough job. And I think people hold a lot of guilt as well when their loved one does mm. eventually pass away going, did I do everything right? I hope I made all the right decisions. Like you put so much on your plate mm. and it's a really, really tough time. And the other issue with anticipatory grief is it's not really recognized by society. And a lot of the time people might not even identify that they are grieving once they get that news. So you, you're going through this this process and people around you aren't acknowledging that you're actually, you've started the grief process and you mm -hmm. have to go to work, you have to pick up the kids, you have to do all the things when you're still witnessing this person going through. Life doesn't stop. It, it life you know? doesn't stop. You yeah. know, it's a really, really tricky, tough time. What are the different stages of grieving? If someone's trying to identify where they are, what are the different stages or are there? Take the floor in. <laughs> love that you mentioned this, Chris. This is one of our favourite topics to debunk. Oh. There are many myths and misconceptions about grief, and this would probably be up there as the biggest, which mm. is the five stages of grief. So if anyone's listening and hasn't heard of the five stages of grief, they are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And what has happened is, when anyone is going through grief, like we basically Google things like, are we ever going to get better again? What is happening to me? You know, we just, we want to learn about grief and what's going on because we don't get taught it in school. Nothing prepares you for it like we talked about. And every time you Google grief, you get put onto the five stages of grief. And so what's happening is people are thinking there's this linear timeline that you go along. So you start at denial and then you hit anger and you get really angry and then you go to you know, depression, and then once mm. you hit acceptance, you move on with your life or you get over It's not walls. linear. It's I not get what linear. you're saying. It's yeah. not linear. You go all over the place. Okay, All over the Sorry. place, like a big, yeah. messy black squiggle. And like I was stuck in anger for like a year and then there's guilt and then there's all these other emotions as well that nothing prepares you for. But get ready for the, the truth bomb here. These stages were never actually meant for the bereaved. So they were never actually meant for people who were grieving the loss of someone. They oh. were observed by a Swiss psychiatrist, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, in the 1960s in her book on death and dying, and they were stages that she observed in people who were at the end of their life. So not mm. for people who were grieving. So it's the other people who go through that. 
It's like grieving their own lives. Grieving your own life, yeah. So oh. when you, you're dying, you go through this, this yeah. I guess it is a bit more linear because there is an end point. But with grief mm-hmm. of loss, there's no end point. We grieve forever. And it's quite so. wild when you think about the fact that so many grievers out there and media and, you know, so many people use this as a benchmark for grieving. And it is A, not meant for grief. And B, it's it was developed in the 60s. Like who else like applies a 1960s mental health, um, you know, research and findings yeah. in this day and age? It's And so people then like, think okay there's this five stages I need to be you know this is how I'm going to experience grief I'm going to feel these things and then when it happens you're like whoa oh my god (laughs) there's so much more like and like also like it's all coming at me at once and you know there's like like Im said it's like a massive squiggle but I think sometimes we think that you've got to be ticking them off and and then we judge ourselves if we're not moving through grief as we think we should because we're working off an outdated model that's not even meant for grief anyway so i made a i actually made a real kind of similar to this but talking about my therapy journey where i was saying at one point i had to stop intellectualizing the thing i was feeling and just feel it Mm. you can't intellectualize your feelings and properly process them it was almost like i was like well if i understand it it's not a thing and it'll go away because feeling hurts Mm -hmm. it hurts it it really does Yeah. So a lot of people, when they experience grief, it's such an immense amount of pain and they want to do whatever they can to almost speed run grief. If somebody was looking for some guidance on how to at least perhaps expedite the process, is that possible or is it just is what it is? Um, Just when you were saying like speed grief, that that just made me think of this joke, this this joke we have with one of our podcast guests called Joe Betts, and we were talking about the five stages. And she was saying that she felt like she got to the first year and she was like, okay, I should be feeling better now. And we were like, you're just trying to mm. beat the grief and you can't really beat the grief, but there are things that you can do. And okay. I guess to, I wouldn't say necessarily make the process quicker because grief will just, you know, it takes its time, but also it, we, you just, you got to go with it. But mm-hmm. there is something that we do um, that we, that really helps. And that is called having a grief sesh. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And do you know what having a grief sesh is? Oh, well, I'm about to learn. Yeah. So, <laughs> There are, there are many things you can do, um, and Im will talk about some of them as well, like the mind-body connection, journaling, other things to process. But first and foremost, a grief sesh, it's a term that Im and I coined because we would find like we would just be hit by moments of like uncontrollable emotions. Our grief would just come out of nowhere. And we were like, how do we process this? So... A grief sesh is where you basically get all of the things that that trigger you or that invoke feelings of grief and sadness and that, that kind of bring the emotions out. So you draw the emotions out of you. So looking at photos and anything that reminds you of them, letters, uh, cards. And so we've got boxes full of like all of the sentimental items and we have a grief sesh we put the music on that reminds us of them so quite often for him and I it's the funeral songs my husband knows when he hears certain songs playing on loud he's like do not enter there is a grief (laughs) sesh happening um and we we draw the emotions out so we get comfy and we just take ourselves there and we look at the things that remind us and we try and connect to them but we connect to the grief and because you can't heal what you don't feel right so you gotta just feel it and put yourself put yourself there so if anyone is like oh I feel like I've been avoiding my grief then maybe invite it in and like you know have a grief sesh get the things that that are gonna make you feel emotional and sit with it and draw actively draw it out because you've got to process it Yeah. I mean, even with what I did in honor of my dog, when I got Mm -hmm. back, the grief was still there. I definitely did a lot of crying on the road because I drove several thousand miles on the road. But when I got home, 
that same feeling was there and I still had to feel it. And when anniversaries come up, I still cry when Facebook or Instagram sends me something to remind me or my iPhone will create a little photo album of on the anniversary of my dog's death that created a photo album called Four Legged Friends. And it was just a montage of my dead dog. And it's just like those moments are going to happen. It's kind of like uh, it's not speed running, but you got to face it because it, it's there regardless. So you can avoid it, but eventually you got you got to deal with it. If you want to, uh, I don't know, move forward. But I think you're right with with it. Just uh, what did you say? You have to what? If you have to, you can't heal what you don't feel. Ooh, I love that. That's fire. That's bars. I like that. <laughs> and I, like I love that. So that I love that you just said you got to do this to move forward because that's the word as well. You're moving forward. You're not moving on. You're not getting no. over it. You move forward with your life. And and grief is it's an integration process. Mm. You integrate your loss into your life. It's not something you'll ever get rid of. No. And it sounds scary at first, but we grieve forever. And it's important for people to know that you won't always grieve in pain. You know, we interviewed yeah. David Kessler, who actually worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who um, came up with those stages for death and dying and mm -hmm. um he explained to us like well we we asked him like how long how long are we going to grieve for and he said how long is the person or the pet going to be dead for because that's how long you're going to grieve for and he mm -hmm. said to us you won't always grieve with pain you will in time grieve with love and we just thought that was just the most beautiful advice and it's true and when you're in the thick of it you can't imagine it not being painful for the rest of your life but grief does evolve and we evolve yeah. and our life changes and like you said chris anniversaries and you know when you see a photograph and things like that they're going to be little reminders for you and it will be painful in those reminders but you're over time it will be less and less painful and that's what we yeah. really want people to know i mean like so someone is experiencing christmas for the first time without their loved one and they're really struggling to process uh, how to have that holiday without that loved one there. What advice do you give them? Sal and I were the Grinches, weren't we, Sal? Oh, <laughs> we were, could not stand ones. Christmas for a few years. Yeah, we were, yeah. we were Christmas grief Grinches, weren't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but well, I, I think, yeah, you go, Sal. Well, I was just going to say, I think it's just honoring the fact that if you just want to check out of Christmas and not get involved or that, you know, there's a big, big milestone, Easter, Christmas, birthday, all the things, you don't have to do anything. And if you just don't feel like participating, that is okay. Because sometimes it is really hard. Mm -hmm. um, so I think taking the pressure off yourself, it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to not do the usual festivities. If you just don't feel up for it, if you just want to treat it like any other day, that's yeah. all right. And like, I think having really open conversations with people that are supporting you can be really helpful, especially with big holidays like Christmas, because it's good to set expectations if you're not feeling up for being social or if you're going to just dip in and out, but you're not in a good place and you just need to focus on your needs. Focusing on what you need is so important, especially in the early days of grief, because it is exhausting. And overwhelming and quite often we don't feel like ourselves and we don't feel like necessarily doing the things that we normally do so having clear communication and also boundaries so that you're not exhausting yourself i think is important mm -hmm. go ahead em i was just going to elaborate more on like how exhausting grief is yeah and go for i it. think this is something that was so validating for Sal and I to learn because until we met each other, we hadn't really been told that grief is exhausting. We just felt really wiped out and we thought we were the only ones and we judged ourselves and we're like, what, like, why can't we function in the same way that we used to? And we did quite a bit of digging since we started our podcast and we've researched some really interesting people. And one of those in particular was a woman called Dr. Lisa Shulman, who's, she's actually a world leading neurologist. 
And we wanted to get to the bottom of like why we feel exhausted, why we experience like brain fog and forgetfulness and confusion and all of these things after loss, which is a very common, very common thing. Our community, mm-hmm. pretty much a hundred percent of them have experienced what we call grief brain. Yes. And um, so she, Dr. Lisa Shawman explained to us that like when you experience a significant loss, it's like an emotional injury to your brain and it can yeah. actually rewire your brain and oh. your neural pathways change. It weakens neuroplasticity and like it actually changes your brain. And mm. so all of these things then then impact the cognitive functions like your memory, your speed of processing, all of those things. So that's why we are feeling forgetful and foggy. There's a scientific reason why Mm. and i think when we found that out we were like this is so validating because we thought we were the only ones we thought we were going crazy and a lot of the time people go to the doctor to get blood tests because they think there's something going wrong with them and um so that was amazing for us to find out and just so helpful for our community as well because they like finally had an answer as to why they were like Sal wearing two different shoes out of the house, <laughs> like <laughs> forgetting what they're saying mid-sentence. Like it actually yeah. changes you so much physically, doesn't it, Sal? Yeah. It does. And, you know, if you think about it, and I don't know if you've heard that uh, there's an incredible book called The Body Keeps the Score. By, I have it. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. what he talks about in that book and um, what we spoke to many guests on our podcast about is, you know, when something traumatic happens and a death, whether it's sudden or anticipated, is traumatic, you your body is going into that fight or flight response. You are stressed and stress activates all of the hormones that, you know, the fight or flight, your body is running on adrenaline and that is exhausting. And if mm-hmm. you are being triggered all the time, so looking at photos or like, you know, thinking about them, someone says their name, you've got to sort the funeral out, you know, there are so many triggers constantly, especially in the early days, then your body is constantly going into that mode, because it's being triggered. And that's exhausting. And then that can, you know, when you're stressed, it can impact your immune system, could be lowered. So you can, you know, maybe for me, I had an autoimmune disease that that significantly worsened after my mum died because of of the stress and the response of of my body and it was just trying to like you know cope mm-hmm. um so there's there's loads of reasons why we might feel just completely out of sorts physically after after a loss but stress is yeah it's a huge huge factor mm-hmm. it weighs on you it causes a lot of physical manifestations like you were talking about with uh, your autoimmune issue, what are ways that you see uh, physical manifestations of grief in people? Panic attacks, mm-hmm. anxiety. I mean, I had an eye twitch for months. Eye um, twitch? Yeah, my eye was just twitching. Recently, I had an ocular migraine. So like, yeah, there's so many different physical things. It's, you can experience hair loss, weight loss, weight gain, um, skin issues, like your skin can break out. Yeah, so many different physical manifestations of grief. Yeah, physical pains, um, so many different things. So grief can really impact you physically. We actually have a whole chapter on all the physical sides of grief in our book which is really helpful for people if they are experiencing physical things. And we are by no means doctors as well. I just want to put that out there. So if anyone is listening to this and experiencing things that they're concerned about, we always suggest go and see your doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, grief is very physical. And something else that I'd love to touch on is the trauma element of loss as well. So a lot of a lot of loss can be very traumatic for people. And as Bessel talks about in his book, The Body Keeps the Score, trauma actually stays stored in your body. It can stay stored in the cells of your body. And unless we're doing things to actively move that trauma and process the trauma, that is also what can make you physically ill. So mm-hmm. it's called like disease, like dis-ease, causing dis-ease in your body. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm I'm not experiencing like that that sort of grief right now, but I'm in a very transitional part. And for a week straight, I kept feeling like tension and palpitations like in my mm-hmm. upper chest. And I was starting to get really concerned. And then yesterday, 
I just could not breathe and started just sobbing out of nowhere. And the palpitations went away. It was like my body saying, hey, we got to get this out. But I wasn't heeding the call. I didn't understand what was happening. But then after I got done, I was like, oh, that was it. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Like I needed to let that go, whatever it was. You yes. had a grief sesh. Yeah. That was a grief sesh. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a grief sesh. You did it. But it will. <laughs> like it'll keep knocking. You know, your body yeah. will just keep knocking. It does going, not go away. So patient. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you asked about how do we kind of speed up the process of, of grief and grief sesh being one of them, but then also things that can help. So Bessel talks about this in The Body Keeps a Score is yoga is a really good way to release trauma from the body. Mm -hmm. um, you are just by the, the act of allowing yourself to rest and feel and process and move and be really aware of your movement and be mindful it's a really good tool so if anyone is wondering the things that they might be able to do to help if they're grieving yoga can be really good and also um in mentioned dr lisa shulman the um, neurologist we interviewed about grief in the brain her her key recommendation for processing grief and something that helped her after her husband died was journaling as a way to help connect to the memories and help rewire those neural pathways in your brain um, and help cope with brain fog and alleviate it. So that's also a really good, two good tools that you can do. I mean, any form of movement is good for grief, even if it's just a walk, uh, but journaling is really, really helpful as well. Yeah, take a break. Uh, that me, that's me, I go hiking. And I just cry on, on trees. That's my grief sesh, I guess, as I just like get amongst nature. I'm triggered by the fact that I'm happy that I'm in this nature. And then it just allows the rest of the emotions. I think we focus on a certain emotion, but we're one being in one body. So what I would find is it's almost like a, a dam breaking. Like I would, I would feel one feeling and it was happy. And then all the rush of the other feelings would come behind it. Yes. Love it. Yeah. It sounds like you're doing all the right things. Yeah. I went through a lot of therapy. <laughs> a yeah. lot of therapy. I did a lot of um e I did I did a lot of EMDR. So it was deep trauma work. And so reliving those moments, as awful as it was, it did release me from it. And I'm so grateful for that experience. And one of the other things I wanted to touch on, I, we've all experienced loss. And I would watch people try to be there for me, but be so uncomfortable because they don't want to overstep. They don't know how to be. And I know it's different on a case by case basis, but are there some commonalities and ways that people wish they would be approached in those moments? Or I don't know, like, I think people will be listening to this and either want to be there for somebody who's experienced grief or the person with grief can't explain how they can be there for them. So what advice would you give them? Love that you asked this question. And the thing about grief is it's, a, it's an incredibly awkward topic, which it's I very think Sal awkward. and I, we're on a mission to, yeah. to help try and change that. You know, we want it to be a topic that you can approach and not sit there thinking, oh, my God, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to remind them that their yes. loved one's dead or their pets died. Like, you know, that's all the, the sort of dialogue that goes on in our heads. And often what happens is because we are so worried about saying the wrong thing, a lot of the time we don't acknowledge grief and loss in our society and that is what's leaving grievers feeling really lonely and isolated. So it's kind of this, you know, this mm -hmm. cycle that we really need to break. And mm -hmm. the first thing we'd say is don't, don't worry about what you're saying. Like it's so important to just acknowledge their loss and if you don't know what to say, just acknowledge, just say that, say, I'm really sorry. I don't know what to say, but I want to be here for you. This is so shit. Like grievers really appreciate real, honest language. Like we don't need any of the stuff from, you know, back in the day, like my condolences and biggest sympathies. Like we just mm -hmm. want some real raw acknowledgement of our pain. And it's really hard for people to do. Like we innately want to fix people who are hurting that we love, right? We hate seeing people in pain. So we say things to try and make them feel better. And it's often comes across as platitudes like, oh, they wouldn't want you to be sad or it was their time to go, all these like cliches that we hear. Mm -hmm. But what's happening is although that they're well-meaning, they're minimizing 
the person's experience. It's like, yes. oh, okay, so I shouldn't be sad then because my loved one wouldn't want me to be sad. It's like you actually are meant to be sad. Yeah. Like why can't you just let me be sad? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, these these, and if you're listening and you're like, oh, my God, I said that yesterday to my neighbour, like do not worry. We've said it before. Like everyone yeah. has said these things, but we're just trying to like hopefully educate people on there's some other things that you can say instead that may be more helpful. So don't feel bad because we've, We've all said them, but I'm sure Sal has got some more great points on this topic because it's a we're passionate about this one. I mean, yes. we could go for days on this one, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your your listeners don't want to have a 24 hour uh, podcast about how to support breathing. They might though, um, but. On a practical level, there's some other things that you can do. If somebody is in the very, very early days of loss and you want to reach out, and it is important to reach out, like Im said, even if you if you feel awkward, own it, it's fine. No one's expecting you to come up with, you know, the perfect statement that's going to heal their grief because it just doesn't exist. So it's fine. Just say, I'm really sorry to hear what you're going through. But also at the end of your text, at the end of your message, it can be really helpful just to put no need to reply because mm. we get so many messages, cards, the whole world, everyone you've ever met reaches out when someone dies. And it's it's so lovely and comforting and supportive to hear from people. But also when you are trying to cope with the loss of someone and your brain is pickled and then on top of that, you now feel like you've got to reply to all of these messages and you don't even know what to say. It's just too hard. So just give them the, the, the option to know it's okay. They don't have yeah. to reply. That's really helpful. And another thing is if you bump into somebody you know or you meet up with them or you, you're talking to someone you know who's who's grieving, when you say, how are you, chances are, realistically, they're probably not great. So one thing you can do is say, how are you today? And by adding today, it kind of gives a signal to that person that you're acknowledging and asking how they are today in this moment. And it's just a really small tweak, but it can give them kind of the cue that they can open up and say, actually, today I feel okay, actually. I've had a bit of a shit week, but I'm all right today. Or today's actually really hard and I'm not great, you know? And so just that can be a good little tactic to use, just a tweak when you ask. Because, you know, sometimes as well when people say, Oh, how are you? And you're like deep in grief. It's like, well, how the how the fuck do you think I am? <laughs> and you know, my loved one's dead. I'm not yeah. doing great. <laughs> but then also, you kind of feel like you might have to hide behind it. Oh, I'm fine, thanks. Because you know, it, do they really care, or are they just throwing it out there just yeah. you know as a common courtesy? So that can be just try saying how are you today and see what answer you get. Yeah. So like you're kind of touching a little bit on people pleasing. So have you guys talked about people pleasing connected to grief? Because like as a grieving person, I I am a recovering people pleaser. People come to me and they are trying to be there for me and I don't have the capacity, but I show up to my own detriment because I don't want to make them feel awkward over the fact that, you know, they feel awkward. What if someone is in people pleaser mode and people are showing up and they don't know how to set boundaries? Oh, you're asking all the right things. We've even identified like what types of people pleasers we are. Like I'm an avoider saver, people pleaser. So if, if anyone else is listening in it, okay. they're also like, oh my God, I'm a people pleaser too. Please mm-hmm. go and read. What's the book? Is it Boundaries? Sal? No. So there's a there's a lady that we interviewed on our podcast called Natalie Liu, L-U-E. And she wrote a brilliant book called The Joy of Saying No. It's basically all about oh, how to one. stop yeah. people pleasing. Um yeah, she's a people-pleasing expert and um, she gives you a step-by-step guide to identifying what kind of people-pleaser you are. And um, But it is very common to feel like you have to do all of the things for everyone else when, when you're grieving, especially if you're part of a big family or, you know, you're grieving as a family or a friendship group or a couple. Um, and you can feel burnt out and stretched thin because you're trying to accommodate your needs and then everyone else's needs and it's a lot so this is where boundaries come into play like hugely like what can you say no to that is draining you 
is it interactions mm. with certain people that are really like that you feel like you have to communicate with maybe it's a family member maybe you're grieving differently to other people there's a bit of a conflict what can you do to protect your inner peace if you feel like actually you're you're just interacting to please others but it's draining you or are you taking on too much to please others are you taking the load of things like the death admin or you know you're talking too much about grief when you don't feel comfortable with sharing your emotions with certain people or at a certain frequency mm-hmm. so boundaries are really key when it, if you've identified that you are a people pleaser it's having to think about where you can put those boundaries in place mm-hmm. it was it was pretty wild like you know my dog had died i am filling out paperwork to authorize the payments for all the things that they just did to try to save her i'm sobbing i'm bleeding because wrigley had bit me um because she her whole pelvis was crushed and i felt bad for the lady handing me the clipboard because she has to do that i'm in like one of the worst days of my life and i feel bad for her it was just like a it was a really it was a wild experience like just why why am i feeling bad for her but i don't lose my empathy just because i'm grieving Oh, and it's so common. I think people pleasing is is a really common thing. And we both identified that we were basically chronic people pleasers too. And mm-hmm. always My worrying people. about <laughs> Yeah, like always worrying about what the other person's thinking, always making sure, like for me, I would always kind of read the room and try and read everyone's energy to make sure that everyone's like okay and comfortable when I'm uncomfortable. It's like actually, why aren't I listening to what I need and what's making me, you know, feel like this inside? And it's kind of like learning, having to learn to be a little bit selfish as yeah. well, which is really difficult. Like it's Very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, and, and when you're grieving, you have to be selfish. You have to put yourself first. You have to worry about yourself because you are the only person that's going to look after you at the end of the day. Like, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a really hard thing to understand. Like no one's going to fix you. No one's going to help your grief. No one's going to grieve for you. You've got to do this yourself. So you've got to show up for yourself and be there for yourself. And that means putting your needs first. And it's really hard to do, but it's so I don't important. like it. That's it's- self-centered. <laughs> that's selfish. I'm a bad person I if I am selfish. You know? But that's what we've been taught by society. But it I isn't know. selfish. Self- no. It's not selfish to put your needs first. And if anyone's listening thinking, oh, yeah, I think, you know, my boundaries are being tested here. Something that you can do, and this is what Natalie talks about in her book as well, is just on like the notes app of your phone, just make a note every time you feel you've done something and it makes you feel a bit uncomfortable and you think you might be people pleasing. Just like be conscious to like make a note and see kind of, oh, okay, is there a pattern here? Is there something I can identify? Because that can help you identify where you might be overstretching yourself, your boundaries and, and pleasing others to the detriment of yourself because sometimes it can mm-hmm. be hard to know where we where yeah. we're overstepping our own boundaries so that can be a really good trick yeah okay i have, I have one i know we're time constraints so i got one more question it comes from one of my patreon supporters which if you guys ever want to support the podcast on patreon patreon.com unfiltered friends and her question's actually connected to a quote from your social media she says i gr- hallie says i grieve that i'll never be normal Um, that the things I struggle with are integral to who I am. And it kind of connects to that quote where you guys say, you don't just grieve for the person who died, but you also grieve for your old self. Do you lose who you are, in who you were in the process of grief? And do you ever get that person back? This is a great question. I think you do change. Grief does change you. It changes your whole life. It changes the fabric of your being. Um, Sal and I are on. We're on a different journey. Like we're we're very very different. And I think great grief also cracks you open. It makes you look inward. It makes you look at all the parts of yourself. Like and even all the traumas that you haven't ever processed or identified. Like it's a, it's a, it's a big job. Oh, grief, and that feeling of I'll never be normal it again. It is. I I can relate to that so hard. Like I I went through a a period and some days I still dip back into this going, I feel like I'm always going to be broken. Like I feel like I'm just never going to get back to normal. I'm never going to be that Mm -hmm. fun loving, like jokey person I was before. But I think those parts of you are still there. 
And I think those parts of you can live alongside this new you. And I think grief is one of those things as well where like all these emotions can coexist. Like you can still feel sadness and you can feel joy at the same time. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a process of accepting that, you know, life has changed. You've changed. We so, we really want to fight change, right? We hate it when things change. We're like, I want to go back to my Mm -hmm. old life. I want to go back to the old me, but we really have to surrender to this change that's happening to us. And when you do surrender, that's when things get a little bit easier and stop trying to fight the process Mm -hmm. and stop trying to fight your grief and push it away and not cope with it and deal with it. Like, I think it is just, it's a really huge process of surrendering and surrendering, surrendering that those, some parts of you are a little bit different now and that's absolutely okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately, regardless of grief or not, we are the summation of all of our experiences and we change throughout our life. And it's, I think it's just about going through the process of your feeling, but also just embracing who you've become through those experiences, whether they're positive or negative or whether you assign a value to them at mm-hmm. all. So just like and don't embracing who you've become. And, don't yeah. Judge why do we judge ourselves why, why do we judge over ourselves things that are so far out of our control? Yeah, we do it all the time. Like, oh my God, I should be grieving a certain way or I should be grieving like my auntie or why am I not coping as well as my sister or, you know, all like we, we, Sal and I judged ourselves and we grieved completely differently, but stop judging yourself. However you're feeling and however you're grieving, it is actually normal. That's, that's the funny thing is like, it is normal. Whatever you, whatever you, wherever you're at right now in your grief is normal. And we need to stop judging ourselves. And I feel like other people judge other people for not grieving in the way that they think is appropriate. Like if someone is quieter and not crying, then they're not grieving. How do you talk? How do you talk to those people who feel that they're grieving in their own way, but it's not acceptable to the other people around them? I just think it's really important for people to know that your grief is as unique as you are, and there really is no right or wrong way to grieve everyone grieves differently what's right for one person it might not be right for the other or the way that one person processes their grief and their emotions might be completely different to somebody else because we're all different right like Mm -hmm. the way we respond to everything in life is different grief is grief is no different to that so I think if you are feeling like you're responding differently to grief to other people around you just know that's okay and just take any pressure off or judgment off yourself like him said Mm -hmm. so people i have a feeling people are going to want to reach out first what is the name of your book you've mentioned the book but not the title so what is it called if people want to get it it's called good morning oh oh you're not prepared are you (laughs) honest it's always sitting on my desk honest conversations about grief and loss and you can find it online on all the major platforms or as well in bookstores hopefully Mm -hmm. local big bookstores near you so yeah you can find us on um, www.goodmorning.com.au and we're over on instagram at good morning podcast and that's morning with a u yeah yeah so reach out I have a feeling this is going to be a really impactful conversation for my audience. So I really appreciate you guys giving me the time. Thank you so much for having us. And thank you so much for giving this topic the airtime because we don't talk about grief enough. So we Mm -hmm. really appreciate you having us on and, and letting us share all things grief with you and your audience. And then maybe I'll check you guys out at Vivid on June 17th. Yes, yes, please. Because so I'm going to be in Australia next month. Like it's 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 crazy. I'm excited yeah. though. I'm excited to explore. People have been warning me that it's winter, but you guys don't have winter. Uh, That's not winter. Not compared to Colorado, mate. No, you'll no. be fine. <laughs> yeah, I'll be just fine. I grew up in the Midwest where it gets like way sub zero. I'm I'm good. I'll be. Oh, fine. This will be like <laughs> spring for you. My best mate yes. came over from Amsterdam um, last winter. And he was like, oh, my God, you told me to bring winter gear. I'm wearing sweatshirts. Like, I've bought, yeah. like, all my winter gear for Europe, and I'm literally, like, swanning around in sweatshirts. And I'm like, it's cold, but it's actually <laughs> It's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for being on Unfiltered Friends, and I appreciate you guys. Thanks we for having us. You. <laughs>